following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Anybody ever able to solve a Rubik's Cube? Okay, so Jonathan gives me this like, like, sort of. Like, did you cheat? The heck? Oh, well, you're, I, that counts. The tiny one counts. I've never been able to do it. Never. Now, I, I do kind of console myself with the thought of I've never been able to do it because I've never really tried that hard. But I think thinking of yourself as a quitter is not a great consolation. Um, but the, the thing about Rubik's Cube is it, it's a very difficult thing to try to figure out, right? If, you, if you're unfamiliar. Good, but, um, if you're unfamiliar, Rubik's Cube is, has like, it's, it's a cube, uh, and it's got these nine little colored dots, and you try to get every side to be a solid color. And, but if you look at one before it's solved, it's just this mass of different colors everywhere. And, and, and here's why this is so difficult. Here's why it's so hard to solve, solve the Rubik's Cube. Because you can get to where you've got like six of the nine colors right. That's not that hard on one side. But when you get there, you look and you're like, oh, all I have to do is get this one on the other side over to here. Well, I just turn this, turn this thing around, right? And what happens is every time you move one of the squares, you change the makeup of the entire cube. So you think, well, I'm just going to pull this color around to the other side of the cube, and it's going it's to match up. But it doesn't because it throws the whole thing out of whack. Any one move affects the entire thing. Jesus' resurrection, that we talked about last week, put the exclamation point on his victory over sin by conquering death. The Father raised him from the dead so that we could now be confident in our resurrection and the eternal life that lay ahead. And here's the thing. As glorious as that truth is, and it is incredibly glorious, as incredibly glorious as that is for our eternity, sometimes when we talk about the resurrection, when we talk about Easter, we miss the fact that not only does it change our eternity, it changes everything, including every moment of our lives in this world. The resurrection is not just about some time in the distant future that we'll we'll enjoy. The resurrection changes our lives today. So I want to ask you, how does... How does the power of the resurrection change your earthly life? How does it change the way you walk through this world today and in the week to come? Well, Paul tells us. Paul tells us as he closes out 1 Corinthians 15, this incredible chapter that that focuses on on the resurrection. And he finishes with verse 58, which gives us three earthly life changing realities of the resurrection. And the first is this. He says, through the resurrection, our faith is verified. Our faith is verified. I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, I'm going to actually read everything we read last week, starting in verse 54 and down through verse 58. Starting in verse 54, it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks... Be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58. Therefore, 
My dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So Paul in verse 58 says, because of the resurrection, our faith is verified. And the first word here is, is therefore. And therefore points back to, really, on, on the, the larger scale, it points back to the entire chapter. It's all about the resurrection. But more specifically, he points back to what we talked about last week. That sin and death hold a power in this life. But Jesus' victory grants us the power over sin and death. Jesus' victory is secured through his resurrection. So he says, therefore, since victory is secured through the resurrection, what should you do? And in the first part of this verse, he says, be steadfast, immovable. Right? Steadfast, maybe your translation says be firm or be unwavering. Immovable, maybe your translation says be steady or unshaken. But there's these two things that work together. He says, be steadfast and immovable. To be steadfast is to have an unwillingness to let yourself stray from the faith. To be steadfast is to, to have your feet firmly planted. Say, no, 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 I'm not going to move to the right or to the left. I will remain steadfast in the faith because I know the resurrection is true. To be immovable is to be unwilling to let others pull you from that path. Right? So, so steadfast, I'm going to... I'm going to stay the course, immovable. I'm not going to be moved off of it by other forces. Taken together, these, these two words tell us that because of Jesus' resurrection, we can stand strong in the faith against all opposition. Internal, those things that might distract us. And external, those forces that push against us. Because the resurrection is true, you can be steadfast and immovable. And here's the thing. This is not, this is not about us being steadfast and immovable so we can fight the world around us. This is not about us saying, well, I'm steadfast and immovable, so if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And let me tell you all the ways you're wrong. Let me show you, you big dumb dummy. Right? We laugh at that because we're like, we would never say that. Would we? Because the American church has a pretty good reputation of being more concerned with telling people how they should live than looking into our own hearts and keeping ourselves where we need to be. Right? God doesn't need us to tell everybody else how wrong they are because we don't want them, we don't want them sullying the faith. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. The lion will defend itself. He says, my job is not to tell everybody else how wrong they are. The point is that the gospel of Jesus Christ proves itself in our hearts. And in doing so, it provides the strength that we need to maintain our kingdom purpose and our kingdom mission. That doesn't mean we, have, we don't have to stand up against things that are wrong. But our calling is to recognize the truth of the faith of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection and let that change our hearts. Make us strong. Make us firm. Make us unwilling to give in. 
to the influences and the persuasions of the world around us. See, because the resurrection is true, I know my eternity is secure. And because I know my eternity is secure, I have no reason to fear this world. And because I have no reason to fear this world, I can act boldly and confidently in whatever God calls me to in my faith. Our faith in Jesus is strengthened by his fulfillment of his promises, which in turn validates and verifies our faith in, in our calling and in his purpose for our lives. We come back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul writes to his young protege, and he says, God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. What he's saying is God had a plan, and God made his promises long ago, and God fulfilled his promises through Jesus Christ. If that's the case, whatever God calls you to, wherever God calls you to stand, whatever God puts you to in this life, don't you think we can trust him? Don't you think he's going to provide for you? Don't you think he's going to fulfill his promises? Yes. Why? Because he always has. And if you need evidence of that, look no further than the resurrection. Jesus was faithful where no other religious, intellectual, or political leader ever has been or ever will be. He fulfilled the promise of resurrection. And if even death can't stand up against Jesus, why would I doubt him in anything else? See, our faith is, is verified. Jesus rose from the grave. And the verification of our faith then leads us into the second point, where, t- where Paul tells us that through the resurrection, not only is our faith verified, but our mission is clarified. Our mission is clarified. Watch verse 58 again. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Always excelling in the Lord's work. These next few verses are very simple and very powerful. First he says, always. But you know what always means? It means always. It means without exception. It means in every circumstance, in every situation. He doesn't say always, except for this situation. Always, except when you don't feel like it. Always, except for. He says, no, no, no. Always. He says, always excelling. Again, maybe your your translation says abounding or overflowing. What he's talking about is he says, you should always have an, an overabundance. An inability to hold back. You should always be abounding. Abounding in what? Excelling in what? The Lord's work. The Lord's work. And you're saying, great, I understand always. I understand excelling or abounding. But the Lord's work, that's, a, that's, that's uh, how do I define that? Like, that's a little vague, isn't it, Paul? Why couldn't you just come out and tell me exactly what you wanted me to do? 
Well, he does. He says, always abounding in the Lord's work. How do we define the Lord's work? We can sum it up with one word. Love. You want to sum up the Lord's work in one word? It is love. To love as Jesus has already loved us. On Monday, Thursday, we talked about John chapter 13. And in Jesus' last teaching with his disciples, he says, okay, guys, here's what I want to leave with you. John 13, verse 34, he says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another. Love as I have loved you. That's how you are to love. That is the Lord's work. So if, if you want to take this little phrase in the second half of, in, in the second part of verse 58, Paul says, we are to, in all circumstances, be overflowing with Christ's love. Because the resurrection is true, and if you truly believe in the resurrection, then you are to, in all circumstances, be overflowing with Christ's love. This is our mission this is our mission as believers. This is our mission as a church. This is our mission clearly stated. In all circumstances, overflowing with Christ's love. Right? And we could get into, well, you know, what, what's God called me to do? What's my calling in life? And, and that's great. We should talk about those specifics. But really simply... If you're trying to figure out what does God call me to do, if it doesn't run through this grid, where it is, in all circumstances, overflowing with Christ's love, if what you're doing doesn't fit into that statement, then it's not your kingdom mission. I don't care what it is. I don't care how nice it is. I don't care how good the work seems to be to other people. If it's not in all circumstances overflowing with Christ's love, it is not your kingdom mission because that is our mission. We have to be focused on that. In our house, I'm constantly walking, and I may have told you this before, but I'm constantly walking through our house, especially the kitchen, and I get stuff out of the cabinets, and then I walk away and I leave the cabinet doors open. It bugs Aaron to no end. But I'll be, I'll be getting something out, and I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I'm getting, I don't know why, I'm getting cereal or something. So I grab a bowl of cereal, and we're all in, and, and of course, there's never milk in the carton in the refrigerator. So I gotta go out to the other refrigerator where we keep the extra milk. And so I go out there, and then I come back, and so I pour my milk, and now I'm sitting down eating, right? And you're gonna walk in the room, and I look up, and I'm like, I left, you know. The refrigerator door is open. The cabinet door is open. Where the bowl was is open. Like, everything is open. Why? I don't do it to annoy her. I really don't. I promise. I don't do it to try to cause problems. What happens is, I'm doing one thing, and I get sidetracked by something else. That seems kind of important in the moment. And so I go do that. And then I get thinking, oh, well, the kids need something. So I got to run into the living room and take care of the kids. And then... All of a sudden, I've just been sidetracked to where I don't even remember what I was doing at first. All those little things that were part of my main mission distracted me from what I was supposed to be doing. God has commissioned every one of us for a very clear kingdom task that in all circumstances we'd be overflowing with Christ's love. 
And we all have different work to do. We all have different ways that that works out. But we all have that same goal. To point others to God through Jesus' love. And if we put our minds to other things, if we're not clear in our mission, we will get distracted by other things. We will get pulled aside. And we'll fail to know the joy and the excitement of fulfilling what God has called us to do. So whatever it is, whatever that specific work is that you have to do, it is to all, in all circumstances, be overflowing with Christ's love. Maybe you do this in a, a weekly staff meeting where nobody wants to be there. Because I've never been in a staff meeting where people want to be there. But instead of being upset and being very short with people, you are patient and kind. Maybe you do it by lovingly listening to that person you come in contact tomorrow. Maybe it's a, a client. Maybe it's a grocery store checker. But instead of just quickly getting through and getting what I need and getting out of here, it's being open, listening, sacrificing some time. Maybe it's raising your children with an emphasis and a focus on their faith over the priority of their happiness, over what they want in the moment. Maybe it's showing care to your students, to your neighbors. Maybe it's serving faithfully in your community. Maybe it's simply reaching out to a family or, or someone you know in need. Maybe it's by some other means that God is going to present to you. But whatever it is, the mission is clear. <coughs> in all circumstances, to overflow with Christ's love. To love others in order to direct them to the greater love of Jesus Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Above all. 1 Corinthians 13. You know, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Throughout Scripture, you see this come up time and time and time and time again. And it is about, in all circumstances, overflowing with Christ's love. And in that, to direct others to the perfect love of Jesus. And by the way, just as kind of an aside, this is why our cultural definitions of love fail every point along the way. Because the cultural definition of love, which is just accept people and whatever you want to do, you do, and that's fine. And if I say no, I'm not loving you. Because that kind of love is aimed at glorifying our own desires. It's not aimed at directing us to the perfect love of Jesus Christ. Because the perfect love of Jesus Christ is the only perfect love. The love of our Creator God, who allows us to live, who allows us to take each breath, who has loved us in ways we can't imagine, only to see us turn our backs and walk away from it. So that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, to rise victoriously, to deliver us completely. Right? That is a perfect love. That is a love you are incapable of perfectly living out. Love that I am incapable of perfectly showing you. But it's the love of Jesus Christ. 
that we emulate, that we seek to point others to. So as you think about what you do, about your, your, what you think your calling is in this life, every work, every effort, every pursuit, can we honestly say that as we go about our day-to-day lives, that because we understand the truth and the beauty of the resurrection, that we are always abounding in Christ's love. <clears throat> our faith is verified. Our mission is clarified. Paul concludes with this. Our purpose is unified. Our purpose is unified. In the very end, in verse 58, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We like the end of this phrase that Paul gives us. Because you know that your labor is not in vain. Because we all want to feel like our lives and our work matters, don't we? Don't we? Anybody go, I don't care. No. We want our lives to matter. We want our work to be significant. And it's comforting to hear God say, hey, listen, your work is meaningful. It is purposeful. Right? Brings comfort to us. Yes. But that's not the whole story, is it? That's not exactly what this verse says. It doesn't say, because your work, your labor is not in vain. No, it says, because our, it says, our labor is not in vain, but our labor is in the Lord. When our labor is in the Lord, when we work for that kingdom mission of in all circumstances, overflowing with Christ's love, And this verse isn't a, isn't a call to pastors and, and church leaders and professional ministry people. It's a call to each and every one of us. You know how I know? Because we all have the same purpose. We all have the same purpose. And it's worked out in many different ways, but our purpose is the same. To love the Lord, to love others, and to show the glory of our God to the world around us. In Ephesians 2.10, again, the Apostle Paul writing, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. It's a great verse, and there's a couple of really key words in there that you, you have to stop and take note of. He says, For we are his workmanship. We, who's we? All those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Paul's not talking about him and his fellow workers in the first century. He's saying those of us who love the Lord, who, who by faith have been saved through his grace, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. And that's a, that's a really important word to to define. Because good works, again, isn't being nice. It's not making people feel good about themselves. It may be those things. But good work properly defined is work that brings glory to God. Doesn't matter how nice it is, doesn't matter how good it is, doesn't matter how philanthropic it is, if it doesn't bring glory to God, it's not a good work. 
So we are God's workmanship, created to do good works, which he has prepared ahead of time. God has made us his workmanship to do good works, which he has prepared ahead of time. You know what that means? That means you're not an accident. That means you're not here today by accident. That means you're not who you are with your personality, with your gifts, with your abilities by accident. You may not understand who you are. You may not understand how God has created you, how he has knit you together for for his good works. You may not appreciate it. You may not like it. You may even, on some level, despise the fact that God's made you how he's made you. What I hate that I'm like this. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ as your sovereign, reigning, and ruling king, then you need to know that God has a plan for you. Because he has united you in the purpose of his body, of his church, of his kingdom. You know a great example of this? Remember the story of Samson? Remember in the book of Judges? Samson, and, and usually we get some, some Sunday school lessons about Samson, which is like he had the long hair and he was really strong, but then they cut off his hair and he got weak. And we kind of stop there, because if you really dive into the story, uh, it, it gets a little PG-13. Because Samson is called to be used by God. In Judges 13, verse 3 through 5, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah, and Manoah is Samson's mother, and said to her, Although you are unable to conceive and have no children, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, please be careful not to drink wine or beer or to eat anything unclean, for indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair, because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. That's a pretty weighty prophecy over an unborn child, isn't it? I mean, parents, think about, like, you don't know if you're going to have children, and all of a sudden God goes, hey, your child's going to deliver the nation. Oh, oh my God, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And then you study this is what God has said. This is what God's going to do with Samson. And then you watch Samson's life, and he is a mess. I mean, every step along the way. He kind of sort of obeys God, but he tries to find the loopholes so he can still do what he wants to do. And it causes him problem after problem. And finally, he's captured by the Philistines. His head is shaved. His eyes are gouged out. And he's held as a prisoner. So you get to Judges 16, verse 28 and 30, we get the end of Samson's story, where it says, Samson called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember to strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right hand, the other on his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people. And those he killed in his death were more than those he had killed in his life. God destroyed the people who were fighting against him. 
the people who opposed God. And in doing so, he used Samson to fulfill that calling that he had put on him before his birth. Samson made plenty of mistakes. He went the wrong way. His life didn't look the way his life should have looked as one God was going to use to deliver his people. But you know how faithful God is to his promises? I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. Perfectly? Exponentially, exponentially doesn't even cover it. I don't know how to answer that. Because there's no way in our human language to describe how faithful God is, how he always comes through, how he always delivers on his promises. I don't think Samson ended up where he wanted to end up. his life looked the way his parents had hoped his life would look. But God is faithful even when we're not. What I want you to see from the life of Samson is this. The key to seeing purpose in our efforts is not in having the right position. It's not in perfectly navigating every situation that is in front of us. It's in seeing the opportunity to glorify God through whatever it is that we're doing in the world. See, too often we want to understand purpose and significance as the fulfillment of our desires. Right? And doing something significant or something purposeful because this is what I really want to do. And I think this will be really valuable. So if I'm doing that, there's purpose, there's significance. Instead of rightly seeing that purpose and significance is found in the fulfillment of our purpose in God's kingdom. It's what he has called us to do. It's what he has set before us. When we fulfill his calling, we find purpose and significance. And for most of us, that's not going to be something that is flashy or historically notable. But I promise you this. If we are faithful to what God has called us to, we remain united in that purpose. Our work will be glorious. Because it brings glory and honor to our God. When you consider your purpose in this life, is it built around God's kingdom? It's built around what he is doing in you and through you. Sometimes that's going to be in and through really good times and really good things and great success. Sometimes it's going to be through our heartbreak and our heartache and our earthly misery. But can we always step back and go, God, what are you doing? And what do you want me to do now? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ as his victory over death. By his death, he delivers us from sin, and by his resurrection, he grants us his victory into eternal life. And this is a beautiful and awe-inspiring truth for us to enjoy, but we would be in error to simply focus on the eternal joy of the eternity after this life. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection alters our day-to-day walk through this world. 
And when we truly understand the depth of that victory, that victory of the resurrection, then we find that our faith is verified, and our mission is clarified, and our purpose is unified. Church family, as we move through the days ahead, let us not forget the power and the magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not about a day to celebrate before we go back to our normal lives. It is the victory of God through Jesus Christ that is shared with us so that we can live every single day, every single moment from here through eternity in light of what he has done. May we live out our faith with greater boldness, focus, and unity because Jesus Christ is risen and Jesus Christ is alive. At this, may we glorify the kingdom of our Heavenly Father as we seek to know Him and make Him known. Every step along the way. Would you pray with me this morning, Father God? We thank You for the truth, the beauty, the hope, the power of the resurrection. We thank You for the gift of salvation and redemption life that we are given through the fact that you raised your son from the dead. That the only power death has is an empty tomb. And with that in mind, we are so grateful that we can celebrate the eternity that we have in your presence. That we have no fear of death. We have no concern about death. Because we know our eternity is secure. We're so grateful. Father, we don't want to live out our lives in this world as people who walk through life half asleep, just hoping for eternity. We want to celebrate eternity, but we want that to change our lives here. And so, Lord, as we consider the magnitude of the resurrection. May we, may we be emboldened by our call and our mission here in this world to bring glory and honor to your name through all that we think, do, and say. To proclaim the victory of the cross and the empty tomb. To share with the lost and the broken and the hopeless. Salvation and the healing and the hope of your victory. We love you. Thank you. In your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.